what's up everybody welcome back to another week of the weekly awesome podcast you're here with me maya and i'm krista and this week we're lucky enough to have a very talented chef um he was a 2020 james beard finalist for best chef here um, in the northwest and the pacific category um he was a boss of mine and now i think i can call him my friend so uh chad white welcome absolutely thank you so much for having me and 100 friend for sure oh perfect all right i was like i'm just gonna call him my friend <laughs> <laughs> no it's great i mean you've been so incredible to our team even after uh heading off to doing bigger and better things and uh, we really appreciate your support uh nevertheless of course i'm gonna go broke eating your food so <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, Chad, do you want to tell, you know, our listeners, for anyone who doesn't know your name, you know, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, born and raised Spokane, Washington. Uh, I was a Valley kid, went to Central Valley High School um, on 9-11. Um, like many people in our country, I was, I was struck with um, confusion, fear, anger, um, all those different things. And decided to go down to the recruiter's office and, and sign up for the military. And I got in the, the Marine line and it was the longest line. And I just knew myself better than anyone else that I would probably find a way to talk myself out of it. So I jumped into the, uh, the Navy line, which was much shorter and uh, <laughs> signed right up. And, um, you know, to my luck, uh, I became a cook. Uh, back then I was, I was more interested in art and all those different things. And Later, I got into my career, I found out, you know, just how well art and food uh, were really in the same category. Um, but the the job that I signed up for was called Mess Specialist. And uh, it's a pretty confusing name for people, but basically the position was you were either a cook um, or you uh, managed the barracks or Navy hotels and things like that. And at the time, I was working at the Doubletree Golf Resort before I joined the Navy and thought the general manager was pretty cool, nice car, nice girl, you know, all the different things that us, you know, 18-year-old boys think about. And so I, I took the, the, uh, the position of being a mess specialist. Uh, I really didn't have any other option, wasn't exactly a, uh, a star uh, kid in the academic world, um, so... I, I barely scored high enough to get um, a score on my ASVAP that would allow me to be a cook in the Navy. Um, and the reason why that was so important was if you go in undesignated, uh, basically you, you don't have a job, right? You have to spend so much time uh, in the position until you can apply to take a test. And then if you pass that test, then you can go to a school, uh, a trade school, if you will, and then once the schooling is done, you could start your career. Mm -hmm. uh, and so going into a, uh, a career field that already had a schooling system attached to it kind of fast tracked you. Um, so, you know, I spent uh, about five years in the Navy, uh, made it all the way up to E4 from E1, uh, which is a first, uh, wow. first class petty officer. Um, and I worked in all different types of kitchens from, uh, Arleigh Burke class destroyers on the USS Benfold. Um, if you've ever read the culture code, they talk about how uh, the commanding officer at the time took uh, 
the Navy's worst ship and turn it into the Navy's best ship. And I was on the ship during that time and, and got to be a part of that leadership and then went on to um, aircraft carriers, uh, the USS Ronald Reagan, the John C. Stennis, and uh, the USS Abraham Lincoln. And just worked in a lot of uh, great opportunities with different kitchens where, you know, from the main mess serving 1500 omelets in the morning. Uh, and that was only one side of the carrier to um, working my way up to the chief's mess, then the officer's mess, and then eventually captain and flag mess, um, cooking for admirals and, and foreign dignitaries and stuff like that. And it's a pretty rad opportunity. I, I um, you know, it's a long story, guys, but uh, <laughs> no, it's great. I'll make it. I'll make it quick, um, a, a, as quick as I can. So then I, I had an opportunity to be um, one of uh, fifteen people um, that got to do an externship at the Hotel Del Coronado, um, and there is where I really decided where I wanted to be uh, in life. And uh, although I absolutely loved the Navy at the time, I had two young, beautiful daughters. Um, I was newly wed. And uh, my time at home was really important um, and not away on deployment. So I took the opportunity that uh, was presented to me and became a chef de partie at the, at the Hotel Del Coronado, worked in Prince of Wales, which was their fine dining French uh, restaurant, uh, which we then turned into a uh, more uh, upscale casual dining under the uh, the leadership of Jason Schaefer, who came from uh, Per Se in New York underneath Thomas Keller. And wow. so I had some great foundation uh, in that restaurant. And a lot of what I learned in that restaurant, I still utilize today, um, not only with, with my culinary skill and techniques, but also the training um, and discipline that I learned uh, from there. And of course, uh, the Navy. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, did the, you know, the leadership that you saw on the ship, you, you know, do you apply that to your everyday life now as a chef and as, you know, a leader for your team? Absolutely. I mean, if there's one thing I could give the military credit for, and there's a lot, um, it is instilling discipline, uh, leadership and teamwork. Um, and of course, communication. Um, those are all things that I didn't really have going into the military. Work ethic was one. Uh, I grew up on a dairy farm, uh, spending all of my summers in Addie, Washington, rather than spending time with my friends during the summers. Um, and so I learned a good sense of work ethic, um, but it was really the leadership, communication, and discipline that I learned from the military that has carried its weight all the way through my entire career to this point. Nice. So with that being said, you must have seen a lot of other cultures being in the military that you weren't necessarily exposed to coming from Spokane. I mean, when I was growing up here, it, it was very vanilla, right? I mean, there wasn't a lot of culture. Culture was starting to make its way into our city and uh, from food to all different kinds of things from entertainment. But when I, when I joined the military, the people that I was around were people who spoke different languages than me, looked differently than me, um, everything was so different, uh, from, from like the comfort of my own home. And I found it absolutely fascinating. Um, I lived in a, in a, on well, many different ships, things were a lot different. Right. But I just remember being on the John C. Stennis and I lived in a corner with, um, a Puerto Rican group. 
um, and just like their the how they spoke, their mannerisms, like understanding like how they communicated versus how I did was just it was super intriguing. And then being a cook, I got to eat all the different ethnic foods that I had never had in my life, right? Oh so, yeah, um, southern food, uh, Filipino food, Mexican food. Um, soul food like i mean just like insane different types of flavors that i had never had in my entire life and i'm not talking <laughs> about the stuff that we ate in the navy i just mean when we all got together and cooked our own little thing from where we were from it was just really cool and then being invited out to doing all these like potluck meals and you know um full lechones in the backyard the pig roasting over some fire and um yum luau's it was pretty red do you have a favorite style of that food now that you, you know, have all this experience and is there a favorite cuisine? I would say if, like, I don't know if there's a favorite. I mean, for me, Mexican food is, is my thing, right? I had a feeling. <laughs> Hell yeah. Dude. But, <laughs> I would say like, I didn't, I didn't learn that so much in the military. I mean, during that time I, I had married a girl from Acapulco. Her family was from Cuyuca Benitez, which is the river region near, um, Acapulco. And so I learned a lot about her culture and her food and, and the preparation of it all. But like, if I remember like the most flavorful moments in the Navy, it was cooking with Filipino men. I mean, they're just, oh. and, and, you know, at, at the very beginning, it, not as much like connection, but like once you got to know them and, and, and they started letting you cook some of their food with them. Um, it just, it was like Pandora's box. And those flavors were just things that I had never had before, you know, like vinegar was found in barbecue sauce, right? Right. It wasn't found in marinades and it wasn't found in um, pasta dishes and stews and things like that. So it's just a, a very different flavor profile for me. Um, and rice was always Uncle Ben's. <laughs> <laughs> It, it wasn't, it wasn't like what I was having with them. And it was just, it was r remarkable. So I have a lot of fond memories of that. But if I had like a food, like I could live in Mexico for the rest of my life and eat probably the same thing over and over and over again. Oh, that's awesome. I love Mexican food. Krista and I actually were just talking about making uh, burrilla tacos. Mm -hmm. So I made some last June for the first time. And then she just made some a couple months ago. Um, and ours both turned out really great. Uh, have you made them before? I'm sure you have, but. Oh yeah, absolutely. Birria is one of my, my favorite things. And, um, you know, I got an opportunity to uh, spend some time in Jalisco and Jalisco is really known for their birria, um, specifically in Guadalajara. And, um, and there's, there's some, you know, I wouldn't say controversy, but some people are like, oh, it only has, it can only be with goat. And others are like, no, it can be with beef. And, and I, I agree it could be with either. Um, but my favorite is with goat. Um, and I just super delicious. But there's a place in Tijuana across from um, Mercado Hildago. And this is kind of like the center of the city. It's a market. It's an open air market. So basically like a plaza with all the uh, businesses around it. But right outside of it, there's a place um, that does birria tacos and they do it with beef and they are by far the best I've ever had in my entire life. They serve it with the consomme on the side, scalding hot, like you have to wait Ooh. over like 20 minutes to even take a sip out of it. <laughs> um, 
and there's pictures on my on my Instagram from it, but it's it's by far I've never had anything like it in my life. Ah, so good, Chris. I heard you go ooh when you talked about it with goat. Do you not? I, did that scare no, you? No, no. I would. Hell no. I would totally eat the shit out of that. I think the only thing that I wouldn't do is was it lingua? Really. Tongue. The, it's so I don't good. know, man. They say it's really good and very tender. I just don't. I think just I don't know. As uh, far as Spokane goes, what's what's your go-to Mexican spot? Oh, he's man. like as soon as Zona Blanca opens up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean besides, it's just like your go-to like taco spot. Yeah, it's it's difficult. So I would say <laughs> Taquero Guerrero. And, oh, right here on uh, Monroe. No, so this mm. is. Um, they have a place on Sprague in the valley, and they have their food truck uh, in in front of it. And so they start as a food truck, and then they open up a brick and mortar. And they were going through a remodel right in the beginning of uh, when COVID hit us. And you know, I would say it's the closest thing to like a real street taco that I've had in Baja or in TJ, in Mexico. Um, and because it's like no frill right like it's tortilla let's say carne asada cilantro onion, onion and salsa and the salsa is not a gringo salsa right like it's going to light you up yeah that to me is is the right taco the texture was right the flavor was right it was salty it was spicy it was earthy it hit all the things that i would expect um with a taco and it carried the right amount of acid and everything. And so a, a lot of people try to foo-foo a taco up. And and listen, I've done it myself, right? And I and I and I do it time and time and, and whatnot. But my favorite tacos that I've ever had uh, are on the streets in TJ. Yeah. And there's no, there's nothing fancy about it. We're talking about like tongue seems interesting. My favorite taco is tacos de tripas, right? So it's a uh, pig intestine that's been a tri like tripe. That's what reminded me of tripe. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit different. Um, but yeah, so they, they braid the intestines, they cook it in a, in a cauldron uh, with fat and then they crisp it up on a plancha and then chop it up, serve it with copious amounts of cilantro, red onion, and then a salsa to light your face up. And that's, I don't think there's a better taco out there than that, but I don't Yum. know very many people in Spokane who would be like, yeah, let me eat some pig intestines. <laughs> I'd, I'd be all for it. But I mean, I also like grew up with people from the South making, oh gosh, yeah, chitlins. Yep, exactly. Um, but I'm all for just that plain taco. Um, when I was living in the Valley, I was really close to Choo Choo Tortas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I and and it's really good. And they just do very simple. I mean, you get the onion, the cilantro, they give you a sliver of lime, and then they have a really good salsa. And like, that's all I really want on my taco. It's probably not as good as down on TJ, but. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta give them a go. I haven't had choo-choo's yet. Yeah, it's really good. I'm the same though. I feel like with Mexican food, I could eat that every day, every day, like some form of it. I think it's just like the acid, the heat. I don't know. It's good. I'm there with you, man. Um, I know Krista had some questions about um, Top Chef, which if you guys do know Chad, you've seen his episode or you've seen his season. If you haven't, then what's wrong with you? Anyways, I know Krista will add some questions for you. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
as far as like the whole like auditioning process, what what made you want to audition for Top Chef? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> You're like, let me see what's up. Like, were you surprised that you got on? I mean. Yeah, so I had an interesting go about with it. Um, I had been <laughs> contacted by uh, Magical Elves, which is the production company uh, for Top Chef. And they had reached out to me a couple times uh, over a couple years. And each time I had said no, right? Okay, and I'm going to interrupt you. At what point in your career were you at, like, at this point? Did you have a restaurant? Were you cooking? Yes. Okay. Right. So I had, at the time... Uh, the first time they contacted me, uh, I had uh, a restaurant um, called um, Sea Rocket Bistro. Um, and then the second time they contacted me, I had Sea Rocket Bistro, Craft Pizza Company, and La Justina in Tijuana. Okay. Um, and then I opened up a restaurant called Comun in San Diego, which was not a mirror image of my restaurant in Tijuana, but it was similar. Um, we were utilizing all local farms and produce from, um, from the San Diego area. And we were right outside of Petco Park attached to the actual building of Petco Park where the Padres play. Mm -hmm. So we had more of an elevated uh, vibe to Mexican food, right? which didn't really go over well with people in San Diego because there was a taco shop right down the road, not even a block away, uh, that was selling one pound burritos for like $6 a piece. And I'm serving, although the same quality ingredients as some of the best fine dining restaurants in the city uh, from where I'm sourcing and the preparation value, but the fact that it was packaged as Mexican food made it very difficult for people to buy into it right? Well, Mexican food should be cheap. Well, no. There is cheap Mexican food. And then there's like Mexican flavors done with these ingredients that are incredible, right? And the same right. thing for restaurants in Mexico as well. There are restaurants that you'll pay the exact same prices that you would in America in Mexico. It just depends where the ingredients are coming from and the amount of people it takes to prepare it and the techniques that they're doing it. But without getting it down the road too far, my restaurant was struggling really, really bad. And so my publicist uh, basically said, you know, you don't have any other option. This could be the thing that drives people into your restaurant. They're knocking on your door for the third time. They don't knock four times, Chad. And, uh, oh. and so I agreed to take a phone call I chat with them and uh, they pretty much just pushed me through the program. I didn't have to stand in line to do any kind of auditioning. I was flown to LA. Um, you know, I felt like I was fast forward through it in a lot of ways, which was, which was really cool. And I don't know if that came from being recommended by other people who are on Top Chef or that they had been trying to reach out to me for uh, a few years or not, but um, it seemed far easier than it was for other people. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, they really, obviously they really wanted you on the show. So that's really cool. Yeah. Did it help? Did that help your business down there as far as? No. <laughs> no? <laughs> and and oh. it, it may, it may had. Um, but so when I went off to film, it was uh, seven weeks 
where I was away from the restaurant. Um, it's not like you get to go for the weekend and they shoot. Uh, we were a traveling season, so they sequestered us in hotels. They didn't want anybody to see who we were. Uh, we were always guarded. We were always covered. Um, if we, wow. the old, I took up smoking cigarettes just so I could go and leave my hotel room. Oh my god! <laughs> right, wow. I became a chain smoker and actually ended up getting addicted to cigarettes uh, for a couple of years because of it. But it was it was it was my way to get out and and you know get some fresh air and whatnot when we weren't filming. So even the people who got kicked off on the first episode, they were sequestered in a, what we could say a castaway hotel for the whole seven weeks. Dang. Yeah, absolutely. That's crazy. So being away from my restaurant that long, and it was the first time that I had been away from my restaurant in a period of time, my business partners who were nightclub owners uh, saw the writing on the wall, just like all of us and made a decision um, upon my arrival that we were going to close the restaurant. And for me, I was heartbroken because I was like, guys, the reason I went to do this is to try to bring the attention that we weren't getting to this long enough. So us could build a foundation and keep our clientele. And, um, they, they chose to, to lead, to cut it out early. Um, which in like retrospect, like looking back at all of it, fucking so glad because I am so happy in my life right now. Um, and it's opened up a ton of opportunities. It just, that city at that time was not the opportunity. Right. Yeah. I remember that's how I introduced myself to you. You were outside on, I think the green egg cooking potatoes outside of the steel barrel. And I was like, hi, I watched your season and my name is Maya. Like, <laughs> nice to meet you. Let's be friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. That's, that's a lot better than what it was. Most of the time was people just saying, man, I really like your beard. <laughs> I mean, you did have, I think you were the only one on your season with that decked out beard. It, and it was obnoxiously big. <laughs> and because of continuity, they wouldn't let me trim it. Um, but yeah, it was getting to the point where it was, it was a problem. Well, um, as far as like the, the challenges and stuff was, because I've seen people, I've watched a lot of Top Chef. And like, so especially like during the quick fire, some of those cooks, like especially when they're plating, they're like shaking. Yeah. I mean, is the, I'm assuming the pressure is extremely great because I mean, everyone seems very competitive. Yeah. Did you feel that crazy pressure? I didn't, I didn't really see you shake that much. You seem pretty cool, calm and collective. Yeah, I mean, I had been in enough like televised cooking competitions at the time that, I, that it, it didn't bother me too much. Um, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't like, like ice running through my veins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it was scary, right? Because you got a camera in, in front of you at all times. You're likely having to make a split second decision that may or may not be considered okay to do. Uh, but when you're on the fly, you're making stuff happen however you can do it. Um, and you're a race against the clock. They say cook something in 15 minutes it feels like three. I'm sure. Um, yeah, I believe it. And you guys have probably seen the last episode or the, the last chance kitchen where we could only use a knife for one minute. Yeah. It was three or four. I can't remember how many minutes it was, but it seemed like by the time I finished pulling my knife out of the bag and set it down, the time was up. Right. And I ended up trying to like 
cut through a beef cheek with a pair of tongs instead of like it's ridiculous and a lot of the a lot of the challenges are are set in ways that are unreasonable expectations because they don't want to see like if you give somebody a a, even even a a chef who is you know well trained but not the best you give him all the tools that he needs to succeed uh he or she are going to knock it out of the park probably but if you make them cook with one arm behind their back and without one shoe standing on coals, that's going to add for some exciting TV. For sure. Um, and I mean, there's things that they do throughout the, the season. Um, and I think I can talk about it now without getting in trouble since it's been so long, but that they, that they put in front of you obstacles that are just ridiculous. Right. And they're last second things or, all of a sudden something goes missing from your table. You don't know if a, a contestant took it or if they removed it or <laughs> the cameraman knocked it over or whatever it may be, but no one is on your side in this competition. I mean, it's super cutthroat. And that makes for good TV, like you said. <laughs> it does, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the ratings. They want to see people fight. <laughs> or burn something like, or drop something. Yeah, right. right. Oh man, that's crazy. That was, I, th- I would, I think that would be a lot of pressure, but I think just being around like all, cause it, it is top chef. Like it, it's changed a lot from the first season all the way up until like your season up to now. Cause like the first season they had like home cooks, people that are still in culinary school, like little small minimum backgrounds up to like extreme, like elite chefs from all over the world or United States. And like, it's changed quite a bit. So I think being in that environment has got to be definitely motivating you know? Yeah, I mean, I went in owning, I think it was four restaurants at the time. Yeah. And I felt like I might have an upper hand on this because the last time I had really watched Top Chef was those early seasons, you know, season mm-hmm. one through five. And I remember that, you know, like I remember standing in my episode going, wait a minute, where's the, where's the lunch lady? Yeah. <laughs> like, where's the line cook or the cafeteria cook? Right, and they're and, all and, like James Beard nominees. Yeah, there were yeah. people with James Beard award winners, like multi-year <laughs> award winners, right? Guys that were working for, you know, uh, Charlie Palmer and uh, Thomas Keller and John George Vongerich and all these like icons that I like would kiss the bottom of their feet after a dirty service, right? And <laughs> these guys were like their number two, number three guys. I didn't have that kind of training. You know, I worked for some pretty rad people, but like not on that level. So immediately I'm like third to the last as they're like all naming off their accolades. And I'm just like, oh shit, (laughs) this is not going to be good at all. That's crazy. That's a cool experience though. I think it's awesome. Would you go, would you ever go back for another season if they asked you? So I've been asked to go back twice oh wow and the truth of the matter is if it fit into my timeline my schedule i would but each time that they've asked me to come back i had to go through this you know some of the video stuff and whatnot and i just found myself not having the time to jump through all the hoops that i had to jump through before even though it was much less than other people and so, I don't know, I, I would rather see somebody 
who's working with me on my team go and do it than rather doing it again. Um, the last one, which was the Top Chef All-Stars, I was cast to do that. Um, and I did two interviews and then just told them I couldn't do it. Yeah. Which, you know, my team was pretty pissed. Because <laughs> they're oh. like, you can totally do it. And I mean, last year was, was, you know, or the year before was pretty insane. I had opened three restaurants in one year. Um, you know, that was, that was a really big year. And then of course, you know, we got hit with COVID this year. Um, but I'm still opening another two. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty wild deal. And, and I just don't think that it necessarily fits, uh, with what I got going on right now, but never say never. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. Sometimes you're right. Sometimes it's timing. All right, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Chad White. <laughs> All right, we are back. Um, so Chad, you said you were born and raised here. Um, what is it that brought you back? Was it the culinary scene? <laughs> I mean, how long have you been in Spokane? Let's talk about that because there might have not really have been a culinary scene. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, there was, right? So um, I had visited a couple years uh, between the time that I left and the time that I returned. And uh, basically, right after my season of Top Chef and closing the restaurant, um, and before it had aired, I had some family members that came down and visit with me. And it was my, my brother-in-law and my sister and they just kept saying like, dude, you got to come home. You got to come home. You should at least come home for mom's birthday. And I was like, I don't know if I got the time to do it. And they're like, you'll never have time. Just do it. And uh, so I, I agreed to come home and surprised her for her birthday. And it was, you know, her birthday is only three days before mine. So I stuck around and celebrated. And before I left Spokane to go back to San Diego, I already had my mind made up. That was December, or November 30th. Um, I made an announcement and I, my last day in San Diego was December 10th. Was that 2016? That was 2015. 2015. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. it started working for you in 2017, right? Zona, that's in right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. We opened up Zona Blanca. Um, so I, I moved up here December of 2015. I opened Zona Blanca May of 2016. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, I knew a little bit about the people and the players that were here at the time. I knew about Adam Hegstad. I knew about uh, Jeremy um, and um, as well as Tony Brown. I ate at their restaurants that they were really cool. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the first things that I did, uh, when I returned is I reached out to all of them, including, you know, Ben over at Durkin's and just said, Hey, listen, I, I don't have anything going on right now. Uh, I plan on opening a restaurant here. I don't know when, but I'd love to do some collaborations. I'm not looking to get paid. I just want to come and cook with you guys and build a relationship. And I reached out to about 12 different restaurants and, and the ones that bit were the ones that I just mentioned. And, um, Ever since then, we've we've stayed in good contact and been friends, and uh, they've really helped me, you know, you know, find some foundation here and and point out the do's and don'ts and understanding the, 
the uh, the culinary scene, where it's where it came from, and where it's at, and where it could go, and um, it, it was it was really great, and uh, I'm just excited to be able to contribute to it uh, up to this point. I had met Adam uh, just that once, and he uh, did a guest spot for the ceviche night. It was right before all the restaurants closed. Yeah, he was the last one. It was delicious. Well, he was the first and last. <laughs> the first and last, yeah. I was so excited about that. And that was, I think, the last restaurant we ate at before. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a crazy ride, right? So May of 2016, I opened Zona Blanca. You started working with me in 2017. Yeah. Um, 2018, I was still doing a lot of traveling. I know you recognize that when I when you were working with me, I was... I was traveling a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, 2019, I got a wild hair up my ass and said, I'm going to own up a lobster bar. <laughs> and and then, you know, around that same time, I was talking to Travis Tosath, who, you know, was the founder of TT's uh, Old Iron Brewery. And he was talking about wanting to, uh, you know, expand from where he was at at the steel barrel to then moving into his own space and asked me if I would help consult on the food side of things. And we sat down with our lawyers and decided it would just be better if we went 50 50 and opened that restaurant out in the in the valley uh, in June. And then that following November, I opened up high tide number two. <laughs> and uh, man, I thought I had my hands full with, with one restaurant here in, in the city and, and then boom, I had four and, and now we're looking at, you know, we're looking at five and we, you know, through this whole pandemic, we've tried to figure out like, gosh, what do we do? Like, how do we pivot? How do we stay alive in this situation? Because those three restaurants had just been built. There's still a lot of debt involved in those restaurants. Uh, regardless of how successful they've been, uh, it's difficult to pay off a restaurant in one year. Sure. And, um, I just started thinking about what I wanted to do. And, and I had been in communication with some people in San Diego that I really wanted to bring up and be a part of the team, but I didn't know how to do it. I didn't really have the money to do so at, quite yet. And so I thought about, you know, what if I did some consulting? And so I started consulting for other rest, other restaurants, helping them grow their businesses, which then helped me pay for mine and then helped me get more consulting gigs, which then helped me bring my team up. And now we have built a hospitality group called Chad White Hospitality Group. And uh, we manage, you know, three different uh, projects that are not our own, including Mount Spokane, Arborcrest and Steel Barrel. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have, you know, Zona Blanca Ceviche Bar, which will be reopening, hopefully March 1st. Oh, it's going to be insane. I brought a chef up named Gina Pekka from Los Angeles. Uh, and she brought on a friend of hers, Xavier Reyes, who's also from Los Angeles. He's a pastry chef. And they're going to operate that together. And then I brought up Hannes Coven from San Diego, who was a mentor of mine. And now he's my corporate chef. Uh, and the team is just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So we're just, you know, we're, we're aiming and we're gonna try to follow the bullet. <laughs> I love it. I follow all of these people on uh, social media now, and I just love seeing seeing your team, it's you know, cool. grow. Especially from like where I was in my little, you know, menial space at <laughs> Zona, <laughs> you know, a few years ago, to like seeing that where you've gone now. It's pretty pretty cool to have seen and be part of. It's definitely a blessing. 
Um, I do have a question. Do you think that Spokane is ready? I mean, you came in and you brought ceviche to Spokane when most people were used to, you know, like the ceviche you buy from the Safeway, you know, with like the shrimp and the celery. That's really not that good. <laughs> um, I've never seen that. <laughs> you haven't? Oh, they have it. I'm like not a little seafood person. It's true. She doesn't eat seafood. You I go... wouldn't buy that from Safeway. I wouldn't buy ceviche. I know what ceviche is and I would not buy that from Safeway. Yes. You are wild well so most people know it is that like just like what you get in the little cup and it's shrimp and people some red sauce and celery it's gross i mean i mean teach their own but do you think that spokane obviously you've thought that you brought it here and it's super popular but do you think they're ready for something else absolutely the biggest thing though is that whoever brings a concept that's not already here that's outside of what Spokane's currently experienced as a community, they have to stay true to the concept. And I think you've heard me talk about this. You know, I, I have a huge pet peeve of going into a Chinese restaurant and seeing spaghetti and meatballs on the menu or a sure. It drives me absolutely insane. And, you know, I could probably take a ton of heat for what I'm about to say and screw it, who cares? But the, the truth of the matter is, businesses have to stand up for what they believe in with their food. If what you want to serve is this, then you serve that and you stick to your guns. Don't let a consumer bully you into serving what they want you to serve because their kids, they don't think their kids are, are going to eat anything outside of chicken nuggets. Well, cool. There's a million restaurants to serve chicken nuggets. You can go there yeah. for that. But when you come to my restaurant, you're going to have an authentic experience and that's what I guarantee. And I think that business owners fall victim or hostage to their guests. Now, granted, as a restaurant owner, it is your job to provide hospitality, right? I mean, don't be a jerk about it, but educate your, mm -hmm. your diners. They want to learn about food. That's why they spend all their time watching Food Network and browsing photos or food porn on Instagram. Mm-hmm. They want to learn about it. They're excited, right? And not to mention in 2020, I have a feeling there's a lot more people that are interested in more creative food than they ever have been because they're probably at home making sourdough. Right. <laughs> yeah. People have been yeah. in the kitchen more than they ever have before because they didn't have a choice but to do that. But I think Spokane has the opportunity to absolutely house some serious food um and from all different types of cultures you know the fact that there's not like a legit korean barbecue or a yakitori grill here you know what i mean like it blows my mind chad's like all right restaurant six <laughs> come and do a year near you <laughs> yeah. well and, and we have some ideas we have some cool things that are in the in you know that we're heating up in the oven but uh <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I encourage people um, like, a, like, for instance, like the um, Lumpia Loca or Loca yeah. Lumpia. Ooh. You know what I mean? Like something micro and small like that. You go to places like Chicago, New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles, and it's okay to have this mini or micro restaurant that's only 250 square feet with standing room only or no dining room whatsoever. And they do one to two things extraordinarily well. Mm -hmm. This whole concept of 
giant menus drives me insane. I can't tell you how many restaurants I've gone to in the city where I walk in, the vibe is French, but then all of a sudden there's a Korean dish on the menu. And I'm like, did you have a one night stand with a Korean gal? Like what <laughs> happened here? Why is there bop and bop on this menu? Right. And it's just like, it'd be different if it's like, this is a global concept. We do all different type of global food. Right. But I just don't think people really think out their concepts well enough, right? Like, for instance, Tony Brown wants a roverine menu. What he does at Ruins is rad. For sure. But the thing is, is he does those dishes almost better than some of the restaurants that are open here from that culture of ethnicity. Right, like when he does his ramen people rave and rant about his his ramen and there's restaurants open 365 days a year that sometimes miss you know miss might miss the mark yeah so i don't know i just look at it you know a concept is a concept but you have to make it work you know like you really got to spend the time and think it out um and stand by your product and I know the restaurant because I've been I've been in Spokane for like the last 10 years and the restaurant industry here has changed so much just within the last 10 years. Um, where do you I know being a restaurateur, where do you see it going once everything's opened up after the pandemic? Because it's changed so much. Like, I think there's more like to go options and like, what do you think? You know, I don't know where we go from here. Um, I don't think that we're going to have this big resurgence bounce, bounce back where everything just goes back to normal. I think this is going to be mm-hmm. something that, that takes its time. Um, I think there's people who are really afraid of what's going on right now. Um, not only with, uh, health, but our economy, uh, our government, uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that are up in the air, right? Um, and I just think that it's going to take a much bigger toll on our industry. And I don't think it's going to be easy. I think it's actually going to get harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean to be spreading bad, you know, whatever. I'm just trying to be realistic. Um, I think that fast casual concepts are going to be king for the next three to four years. Um, I think that people are going to have to adapt their businesses properly. There is going to be a place for that fine dining. There's going to be a place for that sit down dining. Absolutely. I just don't think that it's going to have the same, uh, it's not going to carry as much water as it did before. Um, And I think it's going to take time to come back. I hope I'm dead wrong. Yeah, of course. I enjoy the restaurants that we have in this city. I enjoy dining out and that's a big part of my lifestyle and it's been robbed from me, right? Not only as a business owner, right? Owning in this, but as a consumer, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm devastated. I agree. Yeah. It's such an experience. Yep. And, you know, I guess I use this term loosely now because foodie, everyone thinks they're a goddamn foodie, but it's <laughs> eating out is- <laughs> such an experience to me and I'm pissed that I can't do it I mean ordering in is not the same but I mean I do it as often as I can to keep supporting the businesses that I love and hope to see open and sit down and eat at one day but 
Um, speaking of fast and casual, um, Chad, I know you have a favorite restaurant around here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Zips. <laughs> oh, man. Which one, though? Is there a specific one? Because I have a specific Zips that I hit up. <laughs> so the one that I go to that I probably frequent the most, it's not my favorite, but it's near my home. And it's it's on um, Regal. But the, the one that I, that I prefer to go to is the one downtown on 3rd Avenue. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, because I feel like they season things properly. Um, and I like my food a little bit saltier than I think other people do. I'm uh, the same way. Maybe it's all the whiskey and tequila I drink. I don't know. <laughs> Cheers. Or, or all the sweating that I do when I'm working. Um, <laughs> but... I guess I'm not super picky about it. Like my go-to thing is a double bacon cheeseburger. And I've been getting that double bacon cheeseburger since I was a child. And there is this like extreme sense of comfort every time I have that. I I was going to say nostalgia. Yeah. I mean, any shit day could turn to the best day. And I found somebody that I love that loves zips as much as I do. So I, mean, <laughs> I know. Um, I saw your post to your girlfriend. You're like, I love you more than zips. <laughs> that was hard to write. <laughs> Maybe that's another restaurant you can open up. Oh, man. You know what? I just want to do a pop-up at zips. How cool. Fuck yeah. Oh, my God. Do your own version of all their items. Their oh. tartar sauce, though, that's the shit. Their tartar yeah. sauce is the shit. I'm not a big tartar sauce person. I like Dick's tartar sauce, to be honest. It's it's uh, it's got a cult following, that's for sure. So I I'm an aspiring chef, and I know there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to this. It don't it doesn't sound like you went to culinary school. Is that correct? Uh, I would call it abbreviated version of culinary school at the Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. I feel like I filled out more forms than I did. Saute vegetables. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In regards to like somebody starting out, do you think that experience, like in, in regards to like cooking in restaurants, various restaurants and learning from other people versus actually going to culinary school? Do you have any opinions associated with that? Absolutely. I think culinary school is a ripoff. It's a no. Let's talk about college in general, right? It's high tuition. Yeah. I don't know what you're paying for. Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, I look at it as this. Let's say you want to be a restaurant owner someday, right? But you want to be a chef restaurant owner. Mm -hmm. I would spend my money going to some sort of business management school and work in the best restaurant you'd get a job at and learn on the job training. Because what happens when you go from dishwasher to line cook to chef de partie, to sous chef, to executive chef, and then you want to open a restaurant, but you have no business sense whatsoever because all you've done is put your nose down and worked your butt off to get to the top. Now, some would argue that that's a great opportunity to learn and fail, right? Which I did, but I don't think a lot of people have the work ethic that I have. Mm -hmm. I don't think people, a lot of people, really want to be a business owner, really want to be a chef as bad as I did. 
right? I can guarantee that they're, I'm a change for that statement. I can't guarantee, but I'm going to bet that there are very few people in my industry, specifically here in this city, if not all over the country, that wake up at 4.30 on purpose and don't get home until seven or eight o'clock at night on purpose because they're trying to fit as many hours in the day to accomplish as many things as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. Not because they have to, because they want to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the culinary industry definitely is not for the faint hearted, for sure. <laughs> oh, and, and, it, and it's not an overnight success situation, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's very important that you find foundation. So if there's an opportunity to go into culinary school and learn some foundational stuff and then apply it in your in your work uh, or as a line cook, then then I think that's great. Go to the community college and learn as much as you can for the least amount of money. But spending, you know, 50, 60, 70 to $100,000 to go to these like rad culinary schools to come out at $100,000 in debt and making minimum wage like, I'm sorry, there's not a single cook that comes out of culinary school. I don't care if you're the prodigy that doesn't go to the dish pit first. Yeah. I mean, you definitely learn a lot in the dish pit. <laughs> My highest paid salaried chef works in the dish pit more than anyone on our team. Wow. <laughs> Still in the pit. I tell you guys a little story. I was working at Zona Blanca and I wasn't there for a long time. And it's not like I, you know, it was, I mean, I think I'm a pretty good home chef, but like, I don't have a lot of skills and, you know, anyways, Chad comes in one day and he grabs a pan off of, or wherever the pans were on the rack. And he's like, yeah, he's like, uh, so you closed last night, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, so you see this pan? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you gotta use some elbow grease. He goes, these are expensive pans and this will come off. You just have to put your elbows into it. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I didn't wash a pan right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you work for a neurotic chef. <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm very detail oriented. I, I, I want to make sure everything's right, but that's the thing, right? And, and you know this, how many times do I get on people about folding the towel, right? Like the towel has got to be folded right this every single time the same way, right? And it's put in a specific spot. People look at me like I'm crazy when they first start working for me like this, right? But if your team executes the simplest tasks flawlessly, the more difficult tasks they will execute regardless right? Like mm -hmm. that same standard. We cut our tape with a scissor. We don't rip it because mm -hmm. I want straight edges. I want my stuff to look nice, right? <laughs> People look at me like I'm nuts. And I'm like, no, I'm teaching you discipline. I know that if you'll cut the tape, when you see something wrong with this dish or you burn something, you're not going to serve it. Right. Um, but on a serious note, every time I do my own damn dishes at home, <laughs> and I'm washing a pan, I think of you. <laughs> I'm like, elbow grease, Maya. <laughs> in there. <laughs> well, Krista, do you have any other, I mean, I know you have 100,000 questions to ask Chad, but um, we're about an hour here now. So, well, with our little interruptions, we're not quite at an hour, but. Um, no, I think, I, I think it was a great opportunity to talk to you. 
Um, so again, thank you so much. Oh, wait, she wanted to know what's your favorite thing to cook at home when you're cooking for yourself or for Alexi, what do you like to cook or for friends? Alexi's like, I cook all the food. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, we grill a lot at home. Ah, yes. Right? And I have, we've got a, a, I would say a graveyard of grills in the backyard. Do you have a Traeger? Uh, we have two Traegers. We have a Kudu. We have a Big Green Egg. Something else that's out there. <laughs> Apache Grill. Damn. But yeah, I mean, I think that's probably what we do the most is grill tacos. Um, and, you know, we, we actually, we cook a lot at home and it's always different, isn't it? But what is the one thing I cook the most? Grilled cheese? <laughs> Steak. Steak. Mm. Lexi has a nickname for me. It's called Meat Mouth. Meat Mouth. <laughs> you like meat in your mouth, Chad, huh? <laughs> It's a new thing. You're not, new... yeah, we'll cut that one out, man. No, we we're not. We're keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be a great restaurant name. Meat Mouth? That's a great restaurant name. Oh, um, Chad, we will let you go. Thanks again for coming on. Um, is there any parting words or advice that you have for anybody listening that might want to, you know, take a step in the direction that you, that you've been going? I mean, I would just say, work hard, work hard, have respect for, for the, for the industry, for the ingredient, for the people who are about to eat your food, uh, have them in your, in, in your best interests. You know, um, this industry is not an easy industry. It's long, hard, thankless hours. Uh -huh. Um, and you know, if you really love it, you'll love it. If you kind of love it, you're going to hate it. Ooh, For sure. Love that. It's great advice. Well, mm -hmm. thank you so much, Chad, again. Um, and then you can go ahead and hop off here and Chris and I will kind of talk shit about you after you leave. You guys have a great one. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bye, Chad. Bye. So much. Bye-bye. So that was Chad White. Um, you can find his restaurants scattered around Spokane. He has TT's Barbecue out in the Valley. He has High Tide um, Lobster Bar out of the uh, Wonder Building. And then Zona Blanca will be reopening at a new location downtown. Um, um, I will link his Chad White Hospitality Group into our bio for the next you know week or so so you guys can find him and all the good things that he has going on uh thank you guys all for listening to us this was a really fun episode you know we're based out of spokane washington so we want to have more people on like this um we want to support local you know mm -hmm. especially for like a topic that you and i both have such a passion for Definitely. it's nice being able to talk to somebody with so much experience um and somebody that has, that also has like an extreme passion. You can tell like just what he was saying from like the food he was talking about and like the people, his influences. I think that, I think that's awesome. Well, and being around him, you know, it's just, it's like infectious. Um, the drive and the passion that he has. And if you guys haven't had a chance to get out there and eat at these restaurants, you will not, not be upset about it. And if you guys don't oh, like yeah. seafood, because, you know, 
there's other things on this, you know, menu you can eat. You need some chips and guac. You, know, you go to Zalabja Bar, you can have a salad. Um, so, well, the one thing, yeah, because I'm not a seafood person, but I'm always down to try things. But my wife loves high tide and she loves that lobster roll. I think she's had the crab roll a few times, but I always get the short ribs roll. Yeah. And I don't know, man. There's like, um, like a horseradish sauce that's on that thing. And it just slaps so hard, <laughs> especially with like the Texas toast bun. Like shit it's good. Hell yeah. Delicious. It's good. All right, you guys, you know how to find us. Um, social media, weekly.awesome.podcast. That's Instagram, Weekly Awesome Podcast. That's Facebook. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening and we'll be back next week. Thank you. Thank you. See you guys later. Bye. Dude, that was fucking awesome.